right. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Joel Rosen. I call myself the Stress Recovery Ninja, and I'm super excited to welcome my guest, Jay Ferrugia. Um, been someone that I've been following for a long time. Um, he definitely is a influencer in the health and wellness industry. Um, he, he has his renegade po radio podcast, which is a health and fitness show about the relentless pursuit of excellence in every aspect of life. Um, Jay is one of top, uh, America's top fitness and self-help experts with over 20 years of professional experience and teaches you to how to get faster gains in the gym. Um, also, increase your self-confidence, better communication skills, relationships, and really ready to become the best person or best version of you. Um, he also has a New York Times best-selling uh, is a New York Times best-selling author, and he is a world-class guest that will answer all the questions that we could possibly throw at him. So, hey, Jace, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Joel, thank you very much. I am not a New York Times bestselling author. I've, I've had a, a couple books, but uh, so that is incorrect. I just want to share that. Okay. All right. Well, you should be. How's yeah, that? Yeah, I should be. That is <laughs> yeah. true. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about, I mean, I'm sure most of my audience have, have heard of you in some way, shape, or form, but just tell us a little bit about us, about yourself and, and how you got into the area that you got into. Just growing up in the uh, 80s, I mean, I'm 44 now, so growing up, I was obsessed with superheroes as a little kid, and I was like, man, I, I want to be jacked and larger than life like this, and then I, you know, I watched pro wrestling every Saturday morning and, and watched the Dynamite Kid and Ravishing Rick Rude and uh, the Magnificent Morocco, and I was like, man, these guys are jacked, I want to be like this, and uh, meanwhile, I was just a little chubby kid, and then I was skinny fat, and I wasn't super athletic, um, but, you know, I got into it probably, uh, I was 12, 13 in eighth grade, and my cousin Christine started dating a pro wrestler named Eric Wieda, which was really cool. He wasn't with WWE, but he was with another company, a smaller federation, but he was there all the time. Uh, they lived right down the street from us, so I got to hang around, and this dude was, you know, 6'5", 250 or something. So, and around the same time, my dad started getting into lifting, and so with those two, you know, I, was, I, I really got into it, but... I didn't really know what I was doing. I went from doing nothing to training two hours a day, seven days a week, and just doing all kinds of crazy stuff that made no sense for a beginner. Didn't really get anywhere, but the obsession kind of grew. And throughout throughout uh, high school, I was training all the time. And then in college, I just got obsessed and started studying more about exercise science and interning in the weight room. And that was when I actually first started training people when I was 19. So I was uh, 44 now, so it's 25 years ago. Awesome. So, so you've learned a lot along the way of what works, what doesn't work. And I, I definitely want to pick your brain along the way there as well. Um, as far as one of the, I was listening to one of your most recent podcasts and you were mentioning about the changes um, with, with workout approaches. And Jay, the people that I, that I work with are exhausted. They're burnt out. They can't focus. They can't concentrate. And they really look at it as an adrenal problem. But my bigger mission is to educate them that that stress doesn't just impact them at the adrenal level. It really impacts them at the cellular level, really their ability for their body to produce energy at the cellular level. So what I wanted to do is first ask you about you know, especially with the way you were training for two hours at a time and now the way that you've advanced and seen some of the changes with especially technology, um, what would you tell the person who's potentially exhausted and burnt out but does want to approach the exercise 
um, in a way that they can rejuvenate their health. Um, but yet there's also new techniques and, and ways to do full bodies or high intensity stuff. Um, what would be a good uh, way for patient, people to understand a good entry point if they've been exhausted and burnt out, but they also know that they got to get back into it in some way, shape or form? Yeah, I mean, it's so tough for people these days because everybody thinks that you have to go super hard, high intensity all the time. And I, I get that. Like, if you haven't studied this kind of stuff like you and I have, it sounds hard to believe that. Well, okay, how come every single Nike and Adidas commercial is telling me to do that? And every Instagram post is telling me to do that. And everywhere I see CrossFit, and everyone's telling me I have to go hard all the time. That's the only way I'm going to get results. So for you and I to say, no, it's actually the complete opposite. People are like, how could that even be? You know what I mean? But that, what that does is that burns you out. So you have to take a more realistic approach. And I'm sure you talk about the science of this all the time, but, but it, I'm trying to, I mean, I could tackle this from so, so many different ways, but the, the reality is like you can train hard. If training hard is fun, I'm not going to tell people not to train hard, but it's what you do the other 23 hours of the day. So if you're always in that sympathetic dominant state, which kind of, you know, just in simple terms means you're always just cranked up like Sam Kennison, you're training super hard, you're drinking coffee, you're aggressive, you're, you know, hashtag always on my grind and that stuff. That's what's going to burn you out uh, more so than the workout itself. Like if you go hard for 20 to 40 minutes, cool. But now at the end of the workout, let's get you doing some deep belly breathing to get you back into a parasympathetic state immediately. Let's do that for five minutes. Let's meditate. Let's go out, get, you know, barefoot, walk on, 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 on dirt, sand, grass. Let's get out in nature. Let's go in the forest. Let's go for hikes. Uh, practice gratitude. Like I said, deep breathing, yoga. Like you have to, and sleep, of course. Sleep is one of the most important things. Um, and, you know, do stuff you love, be around people you love. Like that is super important. So you can still train hard if you're going to do all that stuff. But if you're not going to do all that stuff and you're not going to sleep and drink a pot of coffee, then it's really hard to train hard. Then you should really just be doing cardio twice a week and yoga. Like you have to find that balance. So, and everyone's at, at a different starting point, but if people are burnt out, what I would say is, okay, look at how much you're doing uh, across the board throughout the week. And we have to start trimming some of that back. Like before you're going to start feeling good, you're going to have to cut down your weekly volume. So cut some of the high intensity stuff out. You know, lifting sessions should be uh, lower volume, longer rest periods. You don't have to race around, especially if you're burnt. Like, and if, and if you want to chill out, you don't want to push yourself. You don't want to be redlining. So, you know, just do a few basic exercises, moderate to low reps, moderate rest periods. Then do, everybody wants to do high intensity, like I said. But if you're doing, let's say, three lifting sessions a week, that's basically high intensity interval training. On the off days, you have to just go for a hike, do low intensity cardio, do yoga, do something like that. You can't do three high intensity sessions of lifting and then three sprint sessions in between those on a bike. You're always going to be fried. Yeah, and I, that's what I, I'm so excited to get you on the call because I, I found that a lot of people will throw the baby out with the bathwater in the sense that, oh, you know what, I'm exhausted and I, I'm burnt out and I can't do anything. And more importantly, my doctor has told me that I can't do anything either. And I say, well, does it look like, first of all, your doctor exercises? Because he doesn't learn anything in medical school about exercise and he's probably hypocritical if he is telling you not to exercise and yeah. he a doesn't look like he exercises himself and b he doesn't know whether or not 
um, it, you can actually derive benefit from doing something. So that's really, I wanted to get you on the call and, and dispel some of those myths, right? Because you talk about, hey, listen, it doesn't have to be balls to the wall and just go out there and, and, and crush everything. But at the same time, don't not do anything either, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because, you know, like when you hear the, the term iron therapy, I mean, it's, it's good for you. Like you want that kind of stress. What you don't want, like that's you stress. That's good stress. If you think about evolutionary times, a tiger would come, we would fight, we would have that stress, or maybe you're fighting an invading tribe or something, but you're not in that high stress zone all day, which we are now because you're looking at your phone, you have 8 million things to do, you know, you're cranked up all the time. So you have to get back to, uh, you know, you know more, more natural way of living which is not to be cranked up in that sympathetic state all day. Yeah, it's, it's kind of ironic now that with all of our overwhelming stressors hitting us up from so many angles that the thought of going to do something sympathetic is getting us out of the overwhelming sympathetic that we're doing all day, like actually getting some work in there is actually getting you maybe into a, like, like a, a, a pattern interruption. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, but, so, but again, if, if a lot of people are fried, I would say, and look, I don't want this kind of advice. I don't want to do this, but I get like, sometimes if you're that burnt out, you have to take more days off from the gym. You have to do more low intensity stuff. You have to do some yin yoga. Uh, you have to, maybe you have to eat more. Maybe you have to sleep more. It takes a little while to, I mean, and, and depending on how deep you've dug that hole, it could take a long time. I don't even want to get into it because it could be scary for certain people, but to really feel good again. But if you feel like crap, Start doing that. Start prioritizing the other stuff. Cut down the high intensity stuff and you will start to feel better. Yeah. And you, you had a really good piece of advice the other day for your podcast. You were talking about someone who is on information overload, which we all are in to a certain extent. And your advice was really um, uncanny. And, and if you can share that with our listener, you basically talked about prioritizing what you allow into your, into your consciousness. And I think that's a great lesson, not just for the dude that wants to work out and can stay focused for the whole workout and, and be intense, but for the exhausted, burnt out person that is looking to get their health back and they're spending hours upon hours on the internet trying to figure it out for themselves. I think it's really good advice. So maybe if you could just share like what, you, what you've learned and what you share with your coaching people in terms of if they're overwhelmed, not just inside the gym, but outside the gym, what are some of the tactics that they can do to be able to minimize the processing of stressors on a daily basis? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a crazy time we live in. So I have friends and clients that are pro athletes in their 20s and 30s. And a lot of them, sometimes when they come to me, they're so overwhelmed because all day they're doing this, they're at their phone, look, oh, should I do this, should I do this, should I do this? And they don't know what they're doing and they don't know what to do. Whereas I have clients that have been with me for a long time. Maybe they're in their 50s, maybe they're in their 40s. They don't spend as much time on the internet. And they basically, they might work on the stock market, they might be retired athletes. They don't do it. they just do exactly what I tell them. And they get amazing results and they have no stress and they go to work and they go home and love their families. But when you're consuming so much information and then one day you're like, oh, I should definitely be vegan. And the next day you read this compelling argument about why you should just be a carnivore and only eat steak. And you're like, oh, I'm going to do that. Yeah, 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 the vegan diet is killing me. And then you're paleo and you don't know what to do. You have to pick something and stick with it. And you have to, what I was talking about on the podcast was really kind of just, you know, curate who you're getting information from. 
So you can't, like I have a lot, I've been blessed to have a lot of amazing friends in this industry, super close friends that are brothers that come over and stay at my house, but I don't even consume their information. Like, and I don't even take their advice on a lot of stuff. It's like, Hey man, you do your thing. That works for you. That's what you've, the conclusions you've come to after 10 or 20 years in the business. This is what I believe because just like anybody else, just like somebody who doesn't do this for a living, I'll get kind of suckered and confused too. I'll be like, Oh man, maybe I should do what Joe's doing. Maybe I should do what Luke is doing. Well, he's eating like that. I should eat like that. And you'll drive yourself insane. So you got to, uh, and what I was talking about with, with Instagram and Facebook and all that, you like, you have to, it sounds crazy, but you have to put those time blocking apps on your phone, limit the amount of time you spend on some stuff. And then just create rules for yourself. Like how, how much time am I going to waste scrolling through, scrolling through? So decide who, whose stuff you're going to look at. And maybe for nutrition, that's two to three people that their message resonates with you. You've tried their stuff. It works. Just focus on that. Same thing with training. If you have all these sources, you're always going to be confused and have anxiety and, and just be super stressed. And then look at, look, look at the commonalities between those people. Like you have three different coaches. They're going to have three different ways of training or nutrition. But what are the commonalities of those? Okay, that makes sense. Here's what Joel's saying. Here's what Chase saying. Here's what Chad's saying. Those things meet in the middle. At least I know that makes sense. I could try that, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's, it points the, the picture at having to be super vigilant, right? No one's going to care about your own health, what I teach, as much as you are. But at the same time, at some point, you have to be super vigilant about what you're allowing into your processing on a daily basis. And, um, and that's, you know, and everyone's different. And, yeah. and that's what's cool about what we're doing nowadays, Jay, is we're doing a lot of genetic test interpretations and showing people that, hey, just because Sally goes on a gluten-free diet doesn't necessarily mean, uh, although I do think gluten's a devil, that everyone should probably be off of it. But in certain contexts, some things work for some people and some things don't work for other, you know, for Pete, the same person. Yeah. And yeah. so um, one of the questions I wanted to ask with transitioning into that is you're now experimenting with the aura ring, right? So um, for, for those people that may not know what that is, that's basically this device on your, on your finger that can tell you about your heart rate variability, your temperature, your, your, your pulse, um, your activity level. So what kind of insights have you been getting with, with that for yourself? So I see, you know, like you said, it, it, really it's for HRV and sleep mainly. So I look at that and then I can determine, okay, and it's for, which, which is cool. The thing I like about it, and I think everyone would get the benefit, is it forces you now to be, like you said, more vigilant, more cognizant of what you're doing. So, okay, how many hours before I go to bed am I eating, and how is that impacting my sleep when I look at my readings in the morning? Uh, the time of day that I train, how is that impacting my sleep? How I train, whether or not I make the time to do that kind of parasympathetic stuff afterwards and do the deep breathing and go for a walk as opposed to if I'm in a rush, just running out of the gym and then I'm cranked up all the time. Uh, how is sauna impacting it? You know, all these different things, how is light at night impacting it? So it's, it's really made me, even though it's funny because you and I know all these things, but now having that tracking it, it makes you much more aware. So uh, I've just been making little adjustments here and there, always, you know, doing experiments, see what works, what doesn't. My HRV as I would expect it is lower than it should be. Uh, and, you know, quite frankly, I am that person I described at the beginning, like naturally I'm an East coast hustling Italian. Like it's in my DNA to just go super hard all the time. I have relentless tattooed on my forearm. So just that though has made me more cognizant of, okay, 
you got to practice what you preach. You got to do this stuff. Like I live on the beach. So I have no excuse not to walk down to the water every day and do some deep breathing for five minutes and meditate and chill out a little bit more and drink less coffee. So it has made me kind of make those changes as well. And even do so, like I said earlier, do like if I, if I have a week where I'm like, Oh, I can only get to the gym four days this week. I will do high intensity stuff. I'll lift, you know, I, I won't prioritize doing lower intensity stuff or going to yoga or something like that, but it's made me rethink that a little bit. So as I get older, I, I, uh, I got to prioritize, you know, really, cause you can't get away with as much, you know, at 44 as you could at 24 or 34. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Your body's not as forgiving, but you're right to, to track is to know, like, and even with all your business books that you look at, that is common sense stuff, right? If I don't know what my metrics are, how do I know on earth if I'm improving, but why do we not do it necessarily for our, our metrics for our, you know, for our body, you know, and yeah. it's, I think that's the way healthcare is changing in, in that it's up to date information where some of the stuff you look at, Jay, when you see like, you know, TSH or you see blood sugar levels or even cholesterol, those can be okay. But now like nothing's better than looking at my temperature or my heart rate or my heart rate variability. As far as for you, have you, have you felt that the readiness or which is basically an algorithm of your activity, your heart rate variability, your sleep scores, is accurate for you like it tells you like okay you have a high readiness score so that means like I can do more I can push it or my readiness score is lower and I got to back off have you felt that to be sensitive enough for you to be an accurate reflection of where you're at it's been pretty accurate for the most part I mean there's there's a few days it's funny because for years I was terrible at sleeping I just I was up all night tossing and turning and in recent years knocking what I sleep incredibly well uh, that said, I'm not even sure why, maybe, maybe I've been playing with a few things and they didn't work out. So there's been a few nights recently that I've had the worst nights of sleep I've had in probably years, just two or three times over maybe the last month. And at least twice, no, two of those days, it still said my readiness was pretty good. So I was like, that's weird. But I did have a, like, even though I didn't sleep a lot throughout the night, I, I did get some decent REM sleep and some deep sleep. So even though I slept like a choppy five hours. And I still went to the gym that are right that day. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's a reflection of just your flexibility, right? Like you're, you have a lot more resiliency to, you know, skip off a little bit just because you've put a lot of due diligence in it. Whereas someone else, they have a way bigger deviation where if they're off, they're really going to break that camel's yeah. back with messing up. So it's a good testament to you. Um, which kind of leads me into another point too, is because I've done this myself. I was a trainer, you know, when you have a, like you have your five o'clock and then a seven o'clock and then a nine o'clock and then, you know, a four o'clock and you, you don't say no to those people yet until you realize, Hey, listen, I only got a, a, a time in here. If you want that time, uh, which is a good lesson by itself. But um, then you're working out in between that you have like a seven hour day over 15 hours. Right. So, um, how do you identify for yourself or for your clientele now in terms of they're approaching that overtraining and it doesn't become a knife that cuts inwards where they're actually depleting themselves and their cortisol levels are messed up and they're actually doing more harm than good? How do you advise your clientele and, and all your listeners how to avoid that? Well, it's kind of like, like you said, you got to be aware. So if you have something to track, like the aura ring, that's going to be great. Look at that. See what's going on there. What's happening with your strength in the gym. 
what's happening with your, with your mood, with your energy levels, with your sex drive. If all those things are going down in a negative direction, you probably got to back off training for sure. So you got to cut down on the volume, cut down on the intensity, cut down on the frequency. So we just want to be aware of all those things all the time. And then it's not really a mystery. Like if you're just conscious and cognizant of those things, okay, something needs to change here. And then you want to listen to your body too in the gym, no matter what the aura ring or any app shows you, if you get to the gym and you're 15 minutes into your workout and you're just dead and weight that normally you can do for 12 reps, you can only do for eight, or you're just like, normally you could rest 45 seconds between these sets and it's taking you two minutes now. That's a bad sign. That doesn't mean, oh, let's tough it out. Let's go to the front desk and get a, uh, a, one of those crazy energy drinks and pound more caffeine. That means let's wrap it up. Let's finish this workout uh, within 15 minutes maybe and just spend maybe 10 minutes riding a bike so you feel like uh, you did something or maybe just spend 20 minutes do, doing mobility and then do some deep breathing stuff. You have to get better at listening to your body. And I'm not saying that you should ever kind of wimp out or whatever. Like you, you want to push through, but there's times you have to be smart. Like don't wear this as a badge of honor. You push through, you push through. That's when you break down. That's when you get burnt out. So I'm totally fine now. If I go to the gym, I feel great. And then I'm, I'm doing sets. I'm like, this is twice as heavy as it should. Uh, it feels twice as heavy as it should. Or I'm just breathing really hard between sets. That's it. I might do four or five work sets and I'm done. You have to just listen. You can't, you can't tough it out because you'll, you'll pay the price for it. Yeah, it seems common sense, right? That we're not always paying attention to the signs and we're not really um, aware. We don't have that awareness. We've lost uh, the awareness with our body. And, uh, and I think those are good, good words of advice. Um, for, for, for dietary stuff, I know we're all over here because I'm like, I got Jay. I got to ask him as many things as I can while I got him. Um, but as far as dietary advice goes, there's a lot of different ways we can go with that. My big thing is, Jay, telling people about that metabolic flexibility, like we talked about earlier, where you're going to be human, you're going to go out, you're going to have fun at points, and um, you just want to be able to bounce back a lot quicker than your body was able to when you were younger. And with that, that means common sense stuff. I really do say, hey, grains are terrible, if, especially if they're glyphosates and they're, they're a lot of uh, spiking of insulin levels. You know, getting good healthy fats is common sense too. Um, and then proteins seem to be on the, the way of maybe um, too much or too little. Um, uh, maybe they can become more gluconeogenic with, with people that are just crushing way too much. And like you've talked about, um, they don't have the capacity to break those proteins down and that can really impact the liver. Um, what's your approach when you're taking someone that is just contra contracting with you and they're a beginner, they're a novice, and you're, you're educating them on the best way to go about nutrition? I think if someone is a beginner and you try to make huge, massive changes at first, it doesn't really stick. Uh, you know, making, making smaller changes that can be, become habits makes more sense. So if you could educate people on, look, what would your great, great, great grandparents have eaten? You know, what would people have eaten you know, even 50 years ago? but certainly a hundred years ago, can you recognize, are these real ingredients? Can you pronounce the ingredients? Does it have five ingredients or fewer? Does it come from a box or a bag? If it's something that you could hunt or kill or pick or grow, it's probably pretty good. It's probably decent. If we can move more towards kind of organic and grass fed, that's great. I mean, if someone's getting up and they're having uh, 
an egg McMuffin and they're eating donuts and stuff like that. For them to immediately switch to having uh, organic eggs and grass-fed steak all day, like that, that, that might be a little dramatic. It might not stick. James Clear has a great book on habits called Atomic Habits, which I recommend to everybody. Um, but yes, small sustainable changes do seem to work. Ideally, I would like to have most people uh, probably on a paleo-ish kind of plan. Uh, carbs would be based on your activity level, your body fat level, uh, you know, a few other things that are going on, what your goals are. I agree with that. I think most people shouldn't eat grains, shouldn't uh, probably not eat dairy. Obviously, sugar is terrible. Um, you know, but for, for the most part, keep, keep it healthy. Keep it, I'm sure we're probably on the exact same page. You know, the one thing I will say is some people can tolerate white rice, especially if they're lean and they're jacked and they're, and they're training quite a bit. And white rice is a great carb for performance and for physique transformation. That said, even though it's great for physique transformation, some people will find that with white rice, you do have those insulin spikes like you talked about, which negatively impacts kind of your energy, your mood, your sleep. So there's the trade-off, you know, like, hey, I look better on white rice, but I sleep like shit and I don't feel that good. So that's the trade-off. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then as far as I know, protein goes a lot of different ways. Um, and I know there's a, a lot of different schools of thought. Um, I, I guess where's, where do you lie on that and in terms of like per pound of body weight or per kilogram? Where, where are yeah. you on that? I mean, you know, I've, I've gone all across the spectrum from super low. 11 years ago, I did a vegetarian diet for a couple of years. And I did vegan for a year and I was super low. Uh, I've gone up to two grams. Like I, I've eaten 450 a day for years on end. And neither of those did as much as I thought. Like I didn't lose as much size eating 70 grams a day as I thought. And I didn't gain any size eating 450 a day above, you know, like a gram per pound. So I tend to stick in that like 0.8 to a gram per pound. Uh, if you're dieting and depending on your weight and your body fat, we might go up to 1.25. But I, I, I like the 0.8 to 1 for most people. Yeah, I think, it's, I think it's good, especially if they're exercising, right? And they're contracting their muscle and they need to yep. repair and regenerate. I guess a good transition now is what's your feeling about the the keto rage and how that applies to the old um, carb loading methodology for those that were endurance athletes where now if they're keto adaptive, um, they can actually fuel their, their energy through that. I guess the question would be, what's your feeling on, um, I guess, ketogenic principles, not necessarily full on, or what's your feeling on full on? What's your, just your take on all that? So I did keto for two years in 96 and 97, so a long time ago. Like people think it's brand new, but people have been doing it forever. Uh, I personally haven't done it since then, but I have gone a lot lower carb. So the last two years I've been averaging about 150 grams of carbs a day, which is not low for a lot of people. But before that, I was averaging three to 500 a day. And the funny thing is I got super lean doing three to 500 a day. Now I go lower. I, I feel good. I have lower carb. Basically, the reason I do it is for less inflammation and for cognitive function and Alzheimer's prevention, that kind of stuff. It's super important to me at my age, and especially because Alzheimer's runs in the family. So on a training day, and I do train quite frequently. So a training day, I'll have 150. Occasionally throughout the week, I might be down to 50 to 75 grams on an off day. But I'd say average 150. And uh, I, my performance is just as good as it was at 300, 400, 500 grams. No, no change whatsoever. So I feel fine. So 
how would I feel going down to 50 grams or 30 for a keto? I, I don't know. I can't speak on it really. And I'm not working with anyone. I haven't worked with anyone in a really long time who's done really low carbs like that. So I don't know. I know some of my friends like Danny Vega and, and Ben Bukolsky and uh, a lot of guys are on that and they feel great. So if it works, um, I, I don't have a problem with it. You know, as long as it's not causing a stress. Some people, if you're, if you're in adrenal fatigue, you're high cortisol, you're high stress, and then you try to do intermittent fasting and keto and all that kind of stuff, it's probably going to make that worse. There's definitely something to be said for someone who's in that sympathetic state all day and just has that anxiety running through the roof to probably have some more carbs, at least for a while to heal themselves. Um, it's probably not the best approach to go super extreme and go really low carb. Yeah, I mean, it's again, it's that individualized approach and you would never tell someone to start with pretty advanced movements that require that, that neurological feedback to the brain that they don't have yet with certain movements. You got to have a transition time. Same thing with your diet, right? You're not just going to say like, go from zero to 90 and, and do it overnight. Um, as far as do you look at or track um, uh, any of the, of the glucose or, or ketones for yourself or for your clientele um, to get some feedback with that at all? Not really. No, as of now, it's not something I've gotten into. Maybe. So just, just as an aside, like they have a couple of new technologies where you can upload the aura ring. It becomes a bit overwhelming, right? When I have patients that are exhausted and burnt out, the last thing they want to do is go on like my fitness pal and chronometer and start tracking their macros. Um, but if we get baselines, Jay, and we look at some of their baselines and then they do their keto and their glucose and then they upload their aura ring, we can actually look at some patterns like what they call P-scores and they have no idea, hey, like when you have more carbs, you actually have a higher HRV, you're sleeping better. Um, or when you have less activity, you actually have a higher HRV. So you can actually get some really poignant information with that, which is, which is really cool. Um, and uh, so as far as for you, though. Um, you, know, you bring up a good point there, Joel, though, that I think is worth addressing. Sometimes health and fitness are kind of not the same thing, depending on who you're talking to and what, what sources of information. And also physique transformation is not the same thing as health. So when you're talking about higher carbs, you have a higher HRV, you're going to sleep and you have less stress and anxiety. That's really what we need to be thinking about long term. But that same person might look leaner on lower carbs. So what are they going to choose? You know, it's, it's hard to get someone to choose health and longevity over short term looking ripped for the beach. Uh, that's the kind of balance. And, and that's the thing everyone needs to kind of understand for themselves. But it is it's not always the same thing. Being ripped does not equal being healthy. Yeah, oh, absolutely. And that's what it's so cool about having you on the, on the call again, because I really think that when you're talking about the healthcare aspect, I think that the whole exercise world and specifically the bodybuilding world has always been on the, on the, on the front edge of, of technology just instinctually, like, you know, diet variation, um, you know, intermittent fasting or, you know, increased intensity, decreased intensity, um, to be able to trick the body, right? I mean, in terms of the body gets very efficient at becoming the laziest way of doing something that if you don't keep it on its toes, it's going to just ev eventually um, stop getting those benefits that it used to get when you were, you know, when you were deconditioned and it didn't really take much to get there. So I guess 
I guess with that, what are some of the tricks of the trade that you teach your clientele, especially like the older than 40 guy? Because I do get a lot of those guys, and I know you have your, your Renegade Strength Program. Um, tell me about some of the tools that you use for your clientele when it comes time for actually lifting and what we've learned over all the years and what you've learned over all the years to get the maximal impact if we're just talking about um, some of the tricks of the trade. Yeah, sure. Well, one thing, I just want to backtrack for one second. I love the value of the aura ring and the apps and all this kind of tracking stuff. But it's just like we discussed earlier, there's a balance. When now it becomes fitness was cool and it was fun, and now all of a sudden it's obsessive. And now I'm just tracking on my phone 24-7 all these different metrics and all this different thing, and I'm looking at my ring and all this, and now I can't live life. So you have to find the balance. My, my two good friends, uh, Andy Galp, Dr. Andy Galpin and Brian McKenzie, wrote a book called Unplugged. And it's like, yeah, there's definitely value to this stuff for sure. But don't let it overcome and just take over your life where you're obsessing and you can't have a piece of cake or you can't go out and stay up past your bedtime with friends who are in town or something. Like, you got to always have that balance. But um, Yeah, absolutely. Sorry, now I forgot what we were talking about. Uh, oh, training. Okay, so no, no, well, just to piggyback off what you say, you got to, you know, when I talk to clientele that's suffering with the problem, and they're not doing the life at the level that they want it. They want to. I, I kind of echo what you just said there in terms of okay, well, we can do all these different testing, but what are we actually trying to achieve here? And do all of these extra test data points give us the information that we need to make the one or two degree changes, or can we infer some of those one or two degree changes that aren't happening with your life that we don't necessarily need to do all that data tracking stuff? And I would agree with you. You know, I was listening to an interview with the guy who invented the aura ring and he was a smart guy, but he's, I think he's more of the, in the, in the sort of the, the ivory towers of studies. And he said, you know, I got a hack. I got a real great hack. So here's what it is. I found out that when my, you know, heart rate variability is the highest, um, I'm on vacation. And I'm like, like, I'm like, yeah, we'll go bigger. Like, you know, anyone knows like when you're on vacation, you know, you don't need like to data track to know that, you know, yeah. I mean, basically it's common sense. But the question I had for you was, um, what are some of the like tools of the trade now that, you know, you do like different, like there used to be like the, you know, the flex magazine where you would do like split bodies and you do arms and calves. And I know that's sort of the eighties type of workouts now. And now that we're in the world that we're in now, what are some of the most advanced strategies, I guess, and some of the, the, the tips that you t teach the people that you train like with different types of movements um, combinations, um, high intensity, low intensity, just to vary it up to keep the body on its toes so it doesn't get too uh, used to what you're going to be doing every time. Well, first thing we have to do is, is teach people how to train. And so I forget about all discussions of frequency, volume, intensity, what's the perfect split. None of that really matters unless we get in the gym and uh, kind of meditative deep focus on what's actually going on in the muscle, teach people how to fire, how to contract, uh, talk about the, the importance of scapular stability for upper body stuff, uh, you know, getting detailed down to their, their, their alignment on a squat. Their, are they firing the right muscles in the right order as the big toe drives into the ground and engaging the glute? Like there's so many things. I take it so seriously that it doesn't matter. The, the workout and the timing, the frequency doesn't matter until we really dial in how to activate muscles, turn off certain muscles. So that's first and foremost, do everything 
excellence of execution, perfect form, perfect technique, work on that before you're adding weight and worrying about anything else. And so newbies sometimes, they might do full body three days, they might do full body five days a week just to grain, ingrain those movement patterns of push, pull, squat, hinge, and then some kind of ab movement or carry. That's a good workout for anybody. You know, pick, pick one of those five movement patterns, one exercise for each of those five, do that three to four times a week, maybe three sets. Uh, I like to keep reps low because again, we're looking at excellence of execution, uh, breathing, spinal alignment, joint stacking. So every rep you do that's above, let's say six, there's a slightly greater chance of injury. And that as you get more fatigued and as you start to breathe harder and as your, maybe your core gives out or stabilizing muscles gives out, now there's more of a risk of injury. So we keep the reps, reps low, high quality. Uh, rest periods, you should go into your next set, not panting and gasping for air. You should be ready and fresh and ready to just get locked down. I mean, if you're doing a dumbbell press, we want to pull your shoulder blades back, retract them, jam them down into your back pockets or depress them and keep them there the whole time so you're safe. And then we want to make sure we're only using the target muscles. On the way down, you're not just going to drop the weight. You're actually going to row the weight down and pull your shoulder blades together and lift your chest up. Those kind of things are so important. Beyond that, like I said, uh, I think a three, a three or four day full body works great for people. But it's funny what you mentioned at the beginning, body part splits or 80s. Kind of, I guess, but not really. Like we, you could still get great results with them if you know what you're doing. Um, and if you train for a long time, they, they, they'd be a terrible idea for a beginner. But if you train for years, you're more advanced. Let's say, especially if you're over 40, maybe you have some arthritis or, or arthritic changes or, or whatever, in, in inflammation in the joints. Sometimes you can't get rid of that or flush that out immediately or soon enough to train again, train that same body part again, 48. Like if you have knee issues, sometimes it takes one set of step ups or, or split squats and there's no way you can do that again tomorrow. You might not even be able to do that again the next day. You might need two, three days in between. So it's, it's all individual. It can work, but, but basically most advanced guys can still get away with training everything. You know, all those movement patterns twice a week. Unless something's really banged up, unless you've had shoulder surgery or something, you got to limit it to you know, once every five days or seven days or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I think I, you're right. I should have prefaced it where as long as you're doing the J style where you're getting good focus and, and contraction and angles and stability and core recruitment and, and, and so forth and so on, if you're doing split bodies um, and you're doing it short, you know, short rest period, um, that you, you know, depending on, you, you know, your circumstance, if you're traveling, if you got to get something in, um, it definitely has value and, and a time and a place. Um, one of the, the really the things that I wanted to ask you to, which I thought was great that you mentioned the other day is just how multi-purposed weight training is, right? You get a lot of some of the, the, the audience that I work with that are maybe the older than 40, 50 year old female that, you know, you see them on the treadmill for hours on end and they just never go and touch a weight. Uh, and uh, they don't understand that that's the reason why they're not seeing any changes. But not only that, there's just so much value in, like you mentioned, um, the, the contractability of the muscle, the endurance of the muscle, the flexibility of the muscle, not having to spend, you know, hours on end in terms of like stretching and so forth. So maybe if you could talk a little bit about that and reassure the person that feels like you've heard it before, I don't want to get really muscular, you know, and like, you know, well, I train every day and I, I still have problems getting really muscular yeah, and you exactly, don't have any yeah. stuff, right? So, yeah. you know, what would you yeah, tell if it was that, that easy, we'd all be the size of the rock. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. 
So, yeah, I mean, for most people, getting too jacked is really, really hard. I mean, that would be a really rare problem to have. And if you do have that problem, I'd be super jealous and want to do like a blood transfusion with you or something. But, um, uh, but yeah, so, so a lot of people think when, when, when it comes to training, like, well, I got to do my strength training. I got to do mobility. I got to work on stability. I have to do uh, stretching. I have to do cardio. Yeah, you should work on all those things, but all those things can be accomplished in a strength training workout. So you're going to build strength, obviously. You're going to build muscle. And the fastest way to burn fat is to build muscle. That's the most effective way. Not jumping around and running around the gym and doing all this kind of stuff and, and huffing and puffing. Like, not, that doesn't, that's okay. That's icing on the cake. Sometimes it's terrible because it just jacks your cortisol up and you actually get fatter and lose muscle, which is crazy because I have a friend and client who – went to i'm not going to say what kind of training they were doing but one of these kind of things where you're just always running around the whole time and gained 13 pounds in four months not of muscle just got softer i mean that's probably an anomaly that's a lot but got softer lost muscle looked and felt terrible the reality is you can do sets of five reps and rest three minutes and get to single digit body fat for a guy if your diet's on point your stress is great and your your sleep is great but uh, but, but back to training. So if you're, if you're lifting properly, you're getting strength work, you get, you're getting hypertrophy work, building muscles, you're burning fat. If you limit the rest periods, now you're getting some of those cardio benefits. Even if you don't limit the rest period, it's still kind of like hit training. Cause if you do a set of 10 squats, your heart rate's through the roof, 10, 10 military presses, your heart rate's through the roof. So you get those benefits. And then you also don't need to do all the mobility and the stretching that you think you need to, if you're training properly, like I said, if you're controlling the eccentric, if you're lengthening a muscle under load, that's better than stretching. If you're doing a semi-stiff-legged slash Romanian deadlift, you're lengthening that muscle under load. And then we pause for a few seconds in that bottom position. Now it's in the stretch position. You're getting way more benefit than if you did an old-school hamstring stretch and held that. You could do that all day, every day. You won't get as much benefit as, as you will just doing uh, Romanian deadlifts. Same thing with a goblet squat. Go down slow, control it at the bottom. Now you're stretching, you're opening up your hips. That does way more than spending 20 minutes on all those hip mobility drills before you work out. If you have to uh, do all that kind of stuff for 20 to 30 minutes before your training, something is really wrong. Like I know guys who warm up for an hour and I'm like, bro, you got to rethink your whole training. That's terrible. You should not be that banged up. I have to warm up way less at 44 than I did at 28 or 36 because I've just gotten smarter. And uh, I don't, you, don't, you shouldn't need to do that that much. So, yeah, you can get all the benefits just from strength training. If you want to add in extra yoga and extra mobility on top of it and some extra low-intensity cardio for your health and longevity long-term, I think you should. But strength training is, is, is the foundation. That's first and foremost. Yeah, I mean, would you say, though, you've seen a lot of the, those trends for the favorable, Jay, in terms of – I mean, I feel that way as sort of an outsider now when I was in the gym all the time and teaching people how to do that. Um, you still had the holdouts that were on the, you know, the aerobics class or they, you know, on the, the recumbent bike or the stair climber. But now I feel that it's kind of transferred over now where you have more dynamic movements being done by all demographics and it seems to be catching on more. Would you say that's happened with the evolution of exercise? It has, you know, and some of that's good, some of that's bad. Yeah, I, I don't think you should have an untrained person in their 40s or 50s come in and be doing lateral uh, skater jumps and, and snatches and stuff like that. Like, you really need to work up to that kind of stuff. And should you ever do that stuff, 
I don't know. It depends on the situation. Uh, it's great to be, you know, doing quote unquote functional training, but what's functional for that person? It, it, it's functional for them to be able to go up and down the stairs and to tie their shoe and to be able to carry groceries. It might not necessarily be functional for them to do, you know, standing broad jumps and, and cleans. They might not need to do that. And then some people will say, well, functional training doesn't mean any isolation stuff. Well, well, correct me if I'm wrong, but the function of your bicep is to flex the elbow. I'm sure at some point in life you would flex your elbow. So a curl doesn't become unfunctional, non-functional. You know, so, right. so people get a little confused. They think just running around doing all this athletic type stuff uh, makes it better. Not necessarily. That might make it more dangerous. It really depends on if, if you're prepared for that. Yeah, I mean, it's like you just, you're, you're coming from a ninja kind of answer in terms of you need a little bit of all of it, right? And, yeah, yeah and totally. You need to customize it to what are, you, what are your limitations, what are your goals, you know, how often. I mean, a lot of dynamics that go into it, correct? Absolutely, yeah. And then how so, much are you going to be willing to, after you do that workout, how much are you going to be willing to do all the stuff we talked about again? Are you going to go to the sauna? Are you going to go to cryo? Are you going to meditate? Are you going to get massages? You know, that's a really key determining factor. If you want to go hard, you got to do all the other stuff to recover, especially if you get older. Yeah. And that's something if you could just speak of like what you talk about, which I think is awesome where people don't really understand, Hey, if you've just put yourself through this, uh, intense or somewhat, you know, interval intense, uh, um, sophisticated, you, you know, functional yet isolated movements, um, you still need to make sure that you get into good parasympathetic activation. So what are, what are some of your, your suggestions on that? Because I think they're awesome stuff. Yeah. yeah, just, you know, like I said, deep, deep breathing immediately after the workout's great, doing low intensity stuff. Uh, sauna is amazing. Dr. Rhonda Patrick has all kinds of information on the benefits of sauna. So it, the more you can do it, the better. I mean, three times a week for 20 to 30 minutes is great for most people. Ideally, I would be doing it five. Uh, I love it. Um, getting massage is great. And then some stuff we don't think about, like that's all stuff you have to pay for and you have to do, but just sitting at home and turning off your phone at seven or eight and just being with people and being present and getting outside. I mean, that's another thing we talk about, you know, natural ways and evolutionary ways of eating or training, but what about light exposure? Like people spend 20 plus hours a day inside. How unnatural is that? Whenever you have the opportunity to get outside, get outside. If you can go work on your laptop outside, if you have to do phone calls, go outside and go for a walk. If you have meetings, uh, you know, Steve Jobs was always big on those walking meetings. There's a lot of guys who are big on walking meetings. And I choose to do that now a lot of times. Even if I'm going to grab coffee with somebody, we're just going to catch up for a half hour. Instead of sitting down at the coffee place, I'll say, let's grab coffee and just go for a walk. Let's just walk around town. That's a great thing. Anything you could do to be outside, if you could get workouts in outside, and that helps you sleep as well. Anyway, if you get outside and exposed to natural light first thing in the morning, it's one of the best things you could do for sleep, for your mood, for all kinds of things. So, uh, yeah, those are the things we don't think about as much. Like we think about the sauna, the cry, the massage, all that, but all the stuff you don't think about, that's super important too. And just being chill, like reading a book you enjoy that's not about getting better in business and training, like just read a novel or science fiction or, or uh, you know, Martin Luther Kiss, a book about a great hero of yours or something like that. Like chill out. That's really important. Yeah, awesome advice. So um, a couple, uh, the, I always ask people when we're, we're finishing up here, Jay, I said, if you knew now or then what you know now as it relates to your stress response um, and, and pushing the envelope too much, 
Um, what would you tell like the Jay back then, like the most solid advice that you would tell you now that you know what you'd know now in terms of just making sure that you're, you're well balanced. Um, maybe you always have been, but what no, would be the no, best advice that you would tell yourself? I, I would probably just, you know, want to slow down. If I go back 20 years, uh, listen to my body. Like I mentioned, I never did that. So if I went in and I know that the previous week I did 315 for eight, I have to get 315 for nine, no matter if my shoulder feels like it's going to fall off and I got to put that horse liniment on it to, to the point where it heats up so I can't feel it. Uh, every set was to death. We're always setting PRs. And so, I, you know, I'd slow down and just do all the kind of recovery stuff that I've, that I've talked about throughout this podcast is, is, is that's super important. And I really didn't do any of that. I would just train super hard and eat a ton of food. And I didn't think about anything else. That was it. So, yeah, that's solid. So as far as how, how do I know you, you have a couple programs on your own. Um, how do I get in contact with you in terms of your social media stuff? And then tell us a little bit about the uh, renegade strength club that you have. Sure. Yeah. My, my site is j.fit, J-A-Y.fit. Uh, then you can find my social on there, Jay Perugia on Instagram. And we have Renegade Radio Podcast. And then the Renegade Strength Club, we're celebrating our 10-year anniversary this year. So uh, started that in 2009, which is, uh, you know, daily, weekly, monthly programming. And it's all the kind of stuff I believe in that we've talked about. So it's joint friendly. It doesn't crush your nervous system, doesn't crush your immune system, your endocrine system, which a lot of people don't know. But a lot of training styles do that. So you stay fresh, you stay always kind of ready, you don't get ultra sore. Um, it is, you know, quote unquote, quote, functional athletic kind of training. But the main goal, the main goal for any kind of strength training is to build strength and build muscle and become more resilient. If you do all that, you're going to lose fat, you become more athletic. So yeah, th those are the programs that I believe in. And I evolve every day. I try to get better. I try to learn something new when I'm in the gym with myself, with a client or the cool thing is I, so many of the top strength and condition experts in the world are good friends of mine. And I'm able to talk to them all the time. And I get invited into NFL and MLB weight rooms and WWE. And so I'm always getting to experiment and see this, what different guys are doing. And I take that and apply it. And I kind of take that Bruce Lee approach and mindset of, okay, let me take this one or two tidbits from this guy and one or two tidbits from this guy. And then I don't have to do everything. Maybe I don't agree with all that, but always just striving to be better and, and make it kind of, you know, safer, smarter training. Yeah, and I think you pointed out, like, you know, because I, I, I was in that industry for a long time myself with training, and I think that it is common sense, but you point out to how sophisticated it is, right? It's just, yeah. there's years of, like, you're, you know, like a ninja 10th degree black belt in terms of what you know over all of these years and, and always learning, knowing that you don't know it all. So thanks for all you do. I just wanted to let Thank you know, you. I got a little parting gift for you, bud. Um, what it is, is it's a precision ex, uh, Dutch test. So it is the new way of oh, wow. testing for cortisol. Um, it's a four-point urine test. So instead of doing the saliva test, you do urine test, mm -hmm. um, which I'm going to send to you. So you're going to give me your address. Oh, Thank you and I'll that. interpret it for you too, bud. So it will be good because uh, I am the ninja in terms of the, uh, the adrenals. Um, awesome. But what, what's really good about this one is they actually combined now, it's called the Dutch Complete Plus, where they combine saliva samples. So you do your morning awakening response, um, you know, when you first wake up uh, 30 minutes later, uh, 30 minutes after that, 
and then 30 minutes after that. But then you also do your urine samples and urine is going to look at your metabolites. So I tell patients when you look at the saliva, while it's good, it's only the free fraction of the hormone. It represents one to 5%. And I've made a lot of mistakes in the past, which I'll openly admit where I do a saliva sample and say, okay, yeah, your saliva sample is really high. Um, you got high cortisol and really conclude that 1% to 5% equals 100% only to do this test and then find out people had a lot of really high free fraction, but their, their HPA axis shut down the metabolized how much they were actually producing for the day. And now we get a lot more insights, Jay. We see 5-alpha being down-regulated or 5-alpha being up-regulated, meaning or, or someone's aromatizing testosterone um, they're not clearing out estrogen in phase two, which is a whole other story. So this is my gift to you, bud. I really appreciate you being on the call. And but you gotta you gotta do it. I don't want it to sit under, uh, you know. And then I, and then I, from there, I want to be able to interpret it for you and give you some insights. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right. So thanks thanks for being on the call. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into today's show. If you like what you've heard and you're interested to see if you're a good fit to work with our Adrenal Awakening program, here's what to do next. Head to AdrenalFatigueSociety.com forward slash apply and book an appointment to speak to our team. Here's how it works. We'll get on the phone for about 45 minutes and get you crystal clear on three things. Number one, where exactly do you want to be with your health and where are you now? Number two, what are the genetic components that haven't been discovered that are impacting your health? And number three, what are the environmental triggers that may be overlapping with these genetic components keeping you from getting optimal health? Remember, getting your energy back just won't happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make that happen. We've helped clients all over the world transform their lives, quadruple their energy, and fix their metabolism and make the world a better place. To see if you can do the same thing, head to adrenalfatiguesociety.com forward slash apply. I'm Dr. Richard Joel Rosen, and we'll talk to you soon.